hope everybody's recovered from their sunburn and uh, finished your... We had lots of leftovers uh, after our worship in the park last week, but if you came today hoping to get some, they're all gone, I'm afraid. So, uh, uh, But we did have a, a good time last week and uh, we're grateful for each person who was, uh, who was able to be there. So while we are picking up today and next week, we'll finish this uh, faith series as we talk about uh, Moses, uh, which is what we've been uh, been doing, sort of on and off uh, with Moses for the last uh, little bit. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 7, we're told there, you don't need to turn there, but we're told that Moses was 120 years old when he died. Um, and, and when we look at Moses' life, we can divide it into three, uh, three main phases. Um, the, the first was the period of time that he lived in Egypt. The second were the years he spent in exile uh, in, in the, uh, as a shepherd. And then the third phase of his life was leading the people of Israel um, from Egypt to the promised land. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, when he's talking to the Pharisees, uh, he, he refers there to a Jewish tradition that each of the 40 years, uh, each of the three periods was 40 years long. So 40 years in Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd, 40 years leading the people. Now, I don't know how precise that 3 times 40 number is, but under any circumstances, 120, however you divide it, is a long time. And, and so just that fact alone is going to exemplify one of the many godly virtues us. And, and I'd like you to, to take a moment and just think of Moses and think of a virtue that you associate with him. Just one. What is one godly trait that you associate with Moses? While you're thinking of that, I want to take a moment and... Uh, Turn to the book of Hebrews. We've spent a lot of time around chapter 11 as we've uh, talked over the past few months about faith. But uh, today I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. If your Bible's like mine, you'll notice that there's no heading at the start of chapter 12. There's lots of, if you look around the page, you'll see a lot of different headings, uh, but there's none the start of chapter 12, and it's uh, just a reminder that the chapter divisions were added well after the Bible was written. They weren't always put in the best place. And so chapter 12 really is part of the thought of chapter 11. And it begins there in verse 1. It says, therefore, in light of everything that's just been said in chapter 1, 
Therefore, chapter 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us. And so the virtue from the life of Moses that I want to focus on today is the virtue of endurance. Not just because he lived for 120 years. But I wanted to focus on this because after giving a whole lot of examples of faith in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, because of what I've just written, in light of everything that I've just said, because of that, because of all these people and all that they've done by faith, here is what I want you to do. Put aside everything. Put aside the things that are holding you back and push on with your faith. Right? We've, we've talked about them. Enough about them. Now push on with your faith. Endure persevere. And so when we talk about walking by faith as our theme, not only for this sermon series, but also for the year, uh, walking by faith, I, I think sometimes we might look at it as, uh, in our heads, we're thinking, oh, strolling by faith. Okay. Now, I don't know if stroll is a word that you use very often. But uh, a stroll is quite relaxing. Okay? I, I, I probably should have had a uh, dictionary definition at this point. I don't. But strolling by faith is what Psalm 23 describes as walking by still waters. It's, it, it's walking around the pond. Um, it's a little hard to see on the screen up, up here, but it's taking the dog for a leisurely walk. Not one of those people out there running with their dogs. No, this is, you've got up early in the morning, you're walking around the block and uh, just soaking in the first rays of sun. That is a stroll. And there are times in our walk of faith, times in our walk of life, that we find ourselves sitting around and going, this life is good. God is good. I'm enjoying this. My faith is good. And, and, and we're strolling. And, and that's not a bad thing. But strolling doesn't require endurance. If you're sitting at the dinner table and you say, well, I've had enough to eat. I think I'm just going to go out for a stroll. Okay? And, and then you find yourself, as, as you go out and you're, you're having this walk, as you go out and you find yourself developing blisters. And you're gasping for breath. I want to tell you, you're either very sick or you're doing something wrong. Okay? That's not how you stroll. You don't need endurance when you go for a stroll. Our walking by faith is more like an expedition than a stroll. I think it looks more like this. 
I don't think that hiking was a big thing back in Paul's day. They walked because they had to get somewhere. <laughs> the idea of walking just for fun um, wasn't really in, in, in their way of seeing the world. Okay, but, but I think hiking by faith is an appropriate sort of metaphor for what, uh, what has been talked about here in, in Hebrews 12. Walking, um, you see, because walking by faith isn't something that we turn on to get through a crisis and then turn off again. Walking by faith is more what these people do. They prepare. They recognize they're going to go a long way. And they prepare for it. Uh, we're told in Hebrews 12, lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. These people have backpacks on. Uh, I did a little bit of hiking like this with backpacks when I was in, in high school. And I can tell you, you are very careful about what goes in the backpack. Okay? You want to have mashed potatoes for dinner one night? You make sure that they're powdered mashed potatoes. Nobody is putting in potatoes into their backpack so that you can mash them once you get out there on the trail. Um, you, you evaluate your clothes. Every, everything that weighs something, you evaluate carefully because you have to carry it. I'm not sure if for those of you that served in the military, if you get that same flexibility of choices when you're packing your backpack. But the idea is that, that, that you're thoughtful about it. I remember once we were out there on the trail in the middle of nowhere, and uh, this big fellow was walking through the park, uh, the national park. He had a water bottle with him. We go, well, what's so strange about having a water bottle with you? It was a big glass water bottle. And, and it's like... That glass water bottle, when it's empty, weighs about the same as my water bottle when it's full. But he didn't care. He was big and strong and he was off his going. But there's no way that we carry something that heavy. And so Paul, or, or the writer of Hebrews, rather, we don't know who that was, is, is saying, when you are walking by faith, leave behind the stuff that's going to weigh you down. Leave behind the stuff that, that's going to make life difficult for you. In particular, he says, what I'm talking about is the sin that tangles you up. Right? And move forward, uh, walking or hiking by faith. The other thing that we see with these guys that are hiking is when we, we walk by faith, when we undertake this journey with God, we voluntarily set off on a hike of faith and we anticipate blisters. We anticipate exhaustion. We anticipate discomfort. Right? You know that there's no ramada <laughs> when you get to the overnight stopping point. Right? You're going to pitch a tent. You're going to sleep in a sleeping bag. You're going to be on the floor. Uh, if it rains, you might get wet. Um, you pack creams and what band-aids and whatever else for scratches and insect bites and blisters and you are prepared because you know that this isn't a stroll in the park. That this is hiking by faith. But on the, the downside, why would we do this then if we anticipate all of these difficulties and these struggles? Because we also anticipate the beauty of what we're going to see. We anticipate the accomplishment. And being able to say, I did that. I got through that. But we also, when we do it with a group of people, we appreciate 
the deeper friendships that we have at the end of that trail. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look at this great cloud of witnesses, faithful witnesses. Now it's your turn. Get out there and hike or run with endurance. So when we look at the life of Moses, we don't have to look very far to see his need of endurance. In Exodus chapter 19, we're told there that the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai on the first day of the third month after leaving Egypt. It's a bit of a trick because you think, oh, it took them three months to get there. No, it took them two months to get there because now it's the start of the third month, right? So they traveled for two months to reach the area of Sinai. And in that time, God had miraculously not only brought them out of Egypt, but once they got across the other side of the sea, he had uh, provided them with water miraculously, provided them with manna every day. He had times given them quail to eat. Uh, that fought a battle against the Amalekites and had defeated them. And so escaping Egypt was not the end of their problems. They had you know, food supply issues, water supply issues, security issues. And the rest of the book of Exodus from chapter 19 on describes the events that took place right there at Sinai. So in the book of Exodus, you've got the leaving Egypt, the journey to Sinai, and then in chapter 19, you just stay there for the whole rest of the time uh, of, of Exodus in, at, uh, at Sinai. Now, the very next chapter, though, after chapter 19, when they arrive there, is chapter 20 of Exodus. And it details the Ten Commandments and, and begins the, a whole lot of other, giving a whole lot of other laws. In chapter 24, for instance, we find there the covenant that people make with Israel. And they say, we want you to be our God and we will be your people. And then they start building the tabernacle, the, the holy tent, the place where God will dwell among them. Now, there are a lot of laws given. If you start reading in chapter 20 of Exodus and just go through the end, there's a lot of details and a lot of laws and you say, well, yeah, Moses would have needed great endurance to write down all of those. And I agree. But in chapter 32, we see Moses' faith and endurance really put to the test. Moses had been up the mountain a long time, and the people got restless. He'd been up the mountain, Mount Sinai, talking to God, getting these laws from God and, and different instructions. And they decide that he's been up there so long, they don't know if he's going to come back. So, what do you do when you don't know if your leader is going to come back because he's talking to God? Well, you impose upon someone to make you a new God. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it made sense to them. And that's what they did. They said to Moses' brother, Aaron, we want a new God. We want an idol. And he says, okay, I'll make you a golden calf. And he, he makes it and he says, behold, the golden calf that brought you out of Egypt. And when God sees how quickly they've turned away from him, from up the top of the mountain, he says to Moses in verse 9 of Exodus 32, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. 
then I will make you into a great nation. So while God is... Remember in chapter 24, they made this covenant that said, you will be our God, we will be your people. In chapter 32, they're like, hey, look at this golden calf. God says, I've had enough of that. But Moses pleads on behalf of the nation. And, and, And I think they're... You know, how easy would it have been for Moses to just go along with God? Just say, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll be the new Abraham. Yeah. And, and, and we'll start over, God, you and me. We'll get this right. But, but Moses says, God, this is going to reflect negatively on you. Um, actually, this is when it gets down. But he says to God, you know, people are going to look at you and they're going to say, I thought you were a God who endures. And now you're a God who's given up. And... Um, and so God says, all right, I'll let you go down and deal with them, Moses. And so Moses goes down, and uh, when Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets of the Ten Commandments out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf uh, the people had made and burned it in the fire, and then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. I don't know what gold-infused water tastes like, but uh, it sounds like it's a punishment. Here's your God. Go ahead and drink it. So, Moses persevered. (laughs) Moses didn't give up. Moses didn't start over, even when God gave him that opportunity. We see these traits again in the book of Numbers chapter 13 when they finally reach the borders of the promised land. Uh, there are three different colors on this map the, and, and everything's a bit of a guess. We don't know the exact places, the names that are mentioned in Exodus are um, uh, disputed after thousands of years. Even Mount Sinai, we don't know exactly which mountain that is. But the, uh, the red gives a possible route that the people took from Egypt to Sinai. And then after, so we come to the end of the book of Exodus, we move over into Numbers, and uh, they, they head up towards the promised land. We're going to take it. Right? This is what we've been waiting for. And it's been about, uh, about two, two years uh, that they spent at Mount Sinai. And uh, then they reach up there to the promised land. But when they reach the promised land, you know, many of you know this story, they send out the spies into the land. And, and they send 12 spies, one from each tribe, and one of the, and 12, 10 of them come back. And the 10 say, we can't do it. Like the people are huge, they're well armed, and the cities have great big walls around them. We have no chance. And there are two others, Joshua and Caleb. And they say, well, everything that those people say is true, except they forget that we have God on our side and we're not at all worried about what's in there. There's, we haven't seen anything in the land that God can't overcome. <laughs> well, the people of Israel listen to the ten. And they decide not to enter the promised land. 
turn around, well, I don't know what they really planned, head back to Egypt. But they're not going into that land. So God says, okay, there's going to be a punishment. There's a consequence to this. After all that I've done, after bringing you out of Egypt with all the, the ten plagues, the parting of the sea, giving you the Passover, giving you the law at Sinai, making covenant with you, I've fed you, I've, I've given you water, I've protected you, you've won battles, I've done all of this, I've spent two and however many months, you know, two years and however many months bringing you to this place, we're ready to go. You spent 400 years in Egyptian captivity, we're ready to go, says God. People say, yeah, nah, we're good. <laughs> and, and so, at this point in Numbers chapter 11 and 12, they describe, uh, Numbers 11 and 12 describe that punishment provision. But in Numbers 13, is where we reach the point where they just say, we're going to, to turn around. We're not going to keep moving forward. Can you imagine how Moses felt? Remember, Moses didn't even want to lead the people. God talked to Moses in a burning bush, and uh, he says, Moses, I've got a job for you. Moses is like, I don't want it. God's like, you don't have a choice, Moses. And so Moses is like, okay, I'll do it. Moses didn't want this job. So now after confronting Pharaoh, after all the complaining and everything he's listened to, all the problems they've had, he gets to the border and they say, no, we're not going. How do you think Moses felt? Right? You think he was sitting in his tent writing his resignation letter? Dear God, I've done what you asked me to do. I brought them out of Egypt. I've brought them to the promised land through highs and lows. We've followed you. I've been faithful. I've represented you. And uh, now I'm just going to go and live under a tree. <laughs> but that's not what happened. You see, the next thing God says Right? While Moses is still processing this re refusal of the people to go in, the next thing that God says is you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And guess who gets to lead for those 40 years? It's you, Moses! Ding, 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 ding! You're the winner! And so, how does Moses feel about that? Another 40 years. Remember, it's been two years to this point. He's got 40 more years ahead of him. But Moses faithfully commits to it. And the green line on this map, it doesn't cover a lot of ground, but it represents 40 years outside the border's and, and in that 40 years, they eventually are going to enter, after that 40 years, they're eventually going to enter um, the promised land. They'll do so across the Jordan River. Rather than coming in from the south, they're going to defeat some of the tribes on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. 
uh, nations on the eastern shore and settle there and then cross the Jordan River to attack Jericho. And they'll do that under the leadership of Joshua. Now, what Moses went through is pretty widely recognized, the difficulty of this. In a sermon that Paul gives in Acts chapter 13 and verse 18, he says of Moses, for about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness. Paul recognized that leading Israel for 40 years was not an easy task. So when we think of godly virtues, I suspect that endurance or perseverance is often one that we overlook. We might think of things like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, things that are nice and cuddly, right? That's how God wants me to be. We might even sum it up and say, God wants me to be nice and cuddly to the people around me. Um, and, and so we say, this is what godly virtues are like. That they make me a kind, compassionate, caring person. And I think all of those are good things. But sometimes when we, we list the virtues, because we're focused on that kind of behavior, that kind of type of attitude, uh, we can overlook perhaps some others. And one of those that we might overlook is endurance. Because endurance is gritty. <laughs> you see, endurance requires things to be difficult. Doesn't it? Just like I said with a stroll. If I said, we're going to go for a stroll around the pond, you're not picking up a backpack with a tent and a sleeping roll and, and, you know, and a little um, camp stove. And, and so when we say we need endurance, we know that we're going somewhere that's tough. And, and so we, we need to be careful when we say, what's it, what's it like to follow God? And we say, oh, it's the best decision you can make. You know, God is good, God is loving, God is kind, God is forgiving, and, and you will benefit from all of these. It's a wonderful relationship to have with God. You're surrounded by people who support you. Some of my best friends are in the church. They've been there when I've gone through hardship. It, it's just so fantastic. Like, it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's also really hard. And God gives me endurance. God gives me perseverance because I need that because I'm in this for the long haul. And maybe at the beginning I thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was all going to be besides still waters. But what I found out is I really need a backpack. And, and I tend to want to carry a kitchen sink in my backpack, but, but it, it, it makes it hard. And so I want to suggest to you today that endurance, perseverance, is a godly virtue that he gives us. And you see, the other thing I think we sometimes tend to do is we think, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just tougher than those other people that gave up. I'm just stronger. Like we, we think, oh, everybody, God wants us to be kind and loving and and you know, beautiful and, and wants us to just you know, be compassionate and accept everyone. And he does. But if that's the only perspective we have, then, then what we say is that's how God wants me to be. But if I'm the one who's gritty. I'm the one 
who's determined. I'm the one who's tough. I'm the one with endurance. I'm the one that's going to get, make sure that I get from here to there. Instead of saying, no, endurance is a spiritual virtue. It's something that God gives us and helps us with. And it's something that we don't do alone. Because I want to suggest it's not just endurance. It's faithful endurance is what we're talking about when we talk about the spiritual virtue. It's about our dependence on God, not about our own resilience. So I'm not able to survey uh, all of the references to endurance in the New Testament today. But I will draw your attention to James chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. James chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. And uh, you can read in your Bible. I've put the one I'm using is uh, a translation from The Voice uh, translation. It's uh, more contemporary English and, and it does add a couple of explanatory phrases to make it sound more like today's English. Puts it this way. Don't run from tests and hardships, brothers and sisters. As difficult as they are, you will ultimately find joy in them. If you embrace them, your faith will blossom under pressure and teach you true patience as you endure. The true patience brought on by endurance will equip you to complete the long journey and cross the finish line. Mature, complete, and wanting nothing. And I like this because, I, as I read it, it highlights to me the connection between faith and endurance. Right? That, that these two go together. Because I said at the start, faith isn't something that we just turn on to get through a difficult time. Faith is a way of living. Faith is packing that backpack before we start out on the journey. We may find things along the way that we're going to want to put in there. But um, we, we do our best. We prepare for that journey with Christ. Faith requires endurance. Endurance builds faith. So when Moses heard that he had another 40 years to spend with these people in the wilderness, I'm sure he wondered how he would survive. But when he reached the end of his life, when he looked back, God took him up a mountain so he could look out over the promised land and, and see what he wasn't able to go in and set foot upon. And, and we sort of focus on that. But as he's up on the mountain, as he looked back at some point into the wilderness, where he'd come from. I'm sure he could see that God had traveled with him all that way. And so as I close today, the thing I hope we remember is simply this. Faith is a commitment to the long road. Faithful endurance is not, I'm not describing something extraordinary. It's not unusual. It's just what following Jesus requires. Faith is not about saying, oh, I'm baptized, I'm taken care of. Faith is about saying, I'm starting something when I'm baptized and I'm committed to ending it. Look to grow in your endurance, just as you look to grow in other virtues. 
of Christ, as you look to grow in love, as you look to grow in kindness and compassion, be aware that endurance is also something that you can grow in. I want to leave you today with this blessing that Paul uh, passed on to the church in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 5, he said, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Again, I'm just going to leave you with this quote, same verse from the voice translation. May the Lord guide your hearts into God's pure love and keep you headed straight into the strong and sure grip of the anointed one. And, and I like that because I think sometimes if we just read that top one, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance, what we might think about is, oh, if I'm directed into Christ's perseverance, it's going to help me to persevere. Right? My perseverance will increase. But I think it's fleshed out well in that second translation. He's not praying or asking that God direct our hearts into Christ's perseverance so that we can persevere. Rather what he's saying, keep you headed straight into the strong and sure grip of the anointed one. That Christ grabs us and he perseveres in holding Onto us. God is faithful. Christ is faithful. And because of that, we strive to be faithful. Jesus perseveres with us. He doesn't give up on us. And that knowledge helps us grow in our endurance, faithful endurance, not to give up on Him.